We're going to continue in Matthew 13. Continue in Matthew 13 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there. We have so much to go over. So uh, forgive me if I, if I go through this uh, rather quickly, quicker, quickly, more quicker than I uh, usually do. I'm definitely going to speak a little bit faster today. Let me pray for us and we'll go ahead and get started, okay? Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we come to you asking of much grace. We are in need of grace. We are in need of seeing our need of grace. And Lord, I pray that you would, through this parable, oh God, expose to us the real need the need that we have, uh, the, the, the desperation, the emptiness oh, that, is, that, is, that is in us without Christ. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would use this teaching, use this time, oh, God, to uh, give us a more correct view, Lord, an ac- a more accurate view of who we are and what is our condition and state before you. Lord, would you use this time, magnify your son, Jesus, that his glory would launch out of this teaching and that it would be him, Lord, uh, that we cling to, that we find, uh, that we run to uh, for help, for salvation, for every need that we have of our soul. Pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last time we went through and gave kind of an agricultural survey of, of the four soils. And I remind you that the the people that Jesus, the multitudes that are basically rubbing against him in such a way that he has to get away from the crowd and uh, and anchor down in a boat in the sea because there's so many people coming to him, surrounding him, that the best way to teach to them is if he he gets away from them, is if he uses the boat as a pulpit to preach and to uh, to share this parable. And he gives them an agricultural survey, that is that 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 has truth in it for eyes that can see for ears that can hear for those whom god reveals the nature of this parable the mysteries of the kingdom to them and uh, but the, but to those who did not have eyes to see this was judgment upon them uh, they were no longer going to be receiving plain uh, propositional truth that they had gotten from uh, from Jesus in times past, and so Jesus has turned in his ministry uh, because of the rejection that he was getting from the religious who were following in the steps of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, and so Jesus turns and starts speaking to them in parables in a way that uh, they cannot understand uh, as clearly the spiritual things which are necessary for salvation. And this was judgment for them. And so they got just the agricultural survey. It definitely had meaning to it, but he did not allow them. He did not explain that meaning to them. But instead, he pulled his disciples aside and he explained it privately to them. Because it was not granted to those who were outside the kingdom to know the mysteries of the kingdom. As we went through last time. But we didn't get to this ninth verse. If you want to go there, uh, in this we're in Matthew 13, verse 9. Uh, verse 9, we didn't get to this last verse, but it's, it, I, I wanted to hit on this and kind of uh, uh, enter into, go into this next section through this. Verse 9 just says, He who has ears, let him hear. You know what's interesting is this, is that Jesus begins this parable by urging the multitudes to listen. Urging the multitudes to listen. Now, you don't have that in Matthew 13, but Mark records it in his gospel. You know how he starts this parable? He he responds it by saying, listen, right? Our translators supply the listen to this, listen to this. But Jesus is, is urging them to listen because it is so necessary. It's so important, so significant. And he finishes the parable by inviting those who have ears to hear to understand the parable. Listening and hearing. He ends the parable. He, he, he finishes the parable with a call to understand, to hear. Why is that significant? What might, why, why might that be significant for Jesus to do? Not everyone at once. Why might that be significant? What is so significant about hearing? It's important, right? The material... Mm-hmm. It's definitely important. 
I would say it's, in hor- it's important because hearing is how you enter the kingdom of God. Hearing is how you enter the kingdom of God. You see that even in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the what? Right? By the word of Christ is what it says. Hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. And Jesus is drawing his, those people, the people, the multitudes, he's drawing their attention to hear, listen, pay attention. The word of the kingdom, the gospel, the word of God, it comes into the heart through hearing. And the words listen, hearing, seeing, all those are metonyms, right? They all stand for understanding. That is what Jesus is calling for, right? Uh, Even if you're deaf, you can hear, right? You can understand in that sense. You can understand, you can hear. Therefore, Jesus is calling each and every one of us, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you listen. Be careful how you understand, because they are absolutely necessary for entering the kingdom of God. Understanding, hearing. And so even though we do label this parable as a parable of the sower, you, you see it's called that even in the parable, the parable of the sower. It is also predominantly a parable about the soils. It is a parable about the soils. And you'll notice that the parable doesn't predominantly give much, much, much focus on the sower. It doesn't give much focus even on the seed. But what does he expand on? The different kinds of soils. He, he gives the majority amount of the material to focus upon the soils. To focus upon the soils. How you hear and how readily with perseverance you receive the gospel will indicate what kind of soil you are. Um, like I was just saying, this parable, it never hints that the lack of heart reception is because of the lack of the sower's skill. It, it never hints of that uh, because of the reception. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. But the issue is where? It's with the soil. The issue is with the soil. Uh, it's with the different kinds of hearers. The, recept- the receptivity of the, the sinful hearts of men. And that's what we'll see is that it is the soil's responsibility to receive and embrace the seed of the message of the kingdom. Right? I think so. Yes. In the heart. The ears, the hearing, the understanding, that which takes place spiritually inside of man is what we're talking about. His heart predominantly. Um, we went into this a little last time, but it is often with the heart-searching parables that God will give us a clear glimpse of what is really going on inside our hearts. And that's exactly what this parable is going to do, right? The disciples are given an in-depth look, look into what otherwise would be invisible for them to see, which is the nature of the hearts of men. That is what God is going to show them. He's going to give them, even one of the mysteries of this parable is insight into the human heart and the kind of reception that, uh, that they should expect uh, for uh, the kind of reception that they should expect for God's gospel to have on their hearts, on their hearts. And so though many people sit, and this is what the parable is about, though many people sit under the ministry of the word of the kingdom, only some, not all, enter the actual kingdom. Only some people enter the kingdom of God. Though many sit under the ministry of the word. And so it's key to understand that the message is not going to produce universal obedience and love for the truth. It's not going to produce that. And that is what you see. Why would it be helpful to know the nature of the human heart when evangelizing? Expectations. Expectations. You want to expand on that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, that, that was my answer. It, it's important because it keeps us from thinking that conversion is something we do or something that we are in control of, right? Uh, we are not in control of the results God is, right? We can breathe out, right? We can relax. Praise the Lord. You know, when I was... Um, when I was in the Armenian circle and I heard that truth, I like a weight fell off of my shoulders. 
You know what I'm saying? It really did. When I came to understand that I was not in control of the results, that the, um, that the gospel that I preach uh, is not based on necessarily how I deliver it. I just need to deliver it accurately. Uh, it's, if people are going to get saved, it's not because of me, uh, but it's because of the gospel I preach, right? It's not because of the kind of person that I am, though, of course, how we live is, is absolutely important. But it's not going to be based on your skill, right? It's not going to be based on your technique, so we don't have to put that kind of pressure upon ourselves. Yes. One aspect of the sower we can't overlook is that he has to bring the word of truth. It has to come. The word has to go out. Exactly. That's right. That restrains that he's compelling the truth that's coming forth. That's right. Like what Chris said, my, my demeanor, my words, my wordsmithing, but speaking the word of truth in love. That's right. That's absolutely important. It's because of the gospel. That's how people are going to get saved. And if we're not preaching the gospel, no one's getting saved. The gospel must be preached. And that's ultimately what we see here is that not only are we encouraged that salvation is not dependent upon our skill, our technique when it comes to preaching, but there's also an urgency here that that unless the gospel goes out, uh, no one's going to get saved. And not only that, God gives you, right, Christ gives us, even in this parable, the nature of human hearts, the kind of, re- the kind of receptivity to expect, right? The kind of reception that you should expect, and it's not that everyone you preach the gospel to is going to bear fruit, right? And so you can expect that, and I don't, I'm not trying to get statistical, I don't think that's the point of this, but more than not, they're going to reject the gospel, Right? There's four different soils, There's there, and, and the first three do not bring that seed to bear fruit, which is the point of the whole parable. The last one does. So the majority of hearts, in some sense, not in every case, are not going to be, uh, they're not going to bear that fruit of salvation. And so how much more ought we to share the gospel if most people are going to reject it? Uh, we must share the gospel even more, knowing that, uh, as, as we'll see, um, the gospel only advances through one kind of soil. It's the good soil, the, f- the, the fertile soil. And so we are preaching to find that soil. We are preaching so that, so that those who are elect might hear, right? That, 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 that way we preach the gospel indiscriminately to all people, right? As Spurgeon said, if I knew who the elect were, you know, they had an E on the back of their, on their back. I pulled the shirt and I just preached the gospel to them. I know that, that they're elect. But we don't know who the elect are, do we? So we have to preach the gospel to all people, and that is uh, and, and and that is something that is urged upon us. Another thing that you're, it's not important to go try to find out exactly who the elect are. Like, we aren't to judge to try to figure out their soil that we should preach to. Exactly. It seems like the sower just needs to sow. That's right. And I, I think of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Would believe, but he still sowed him because he is truth. Yeah. And that's what we do as mm. not only truth seekers, but truth sayers, is that we show people the truth regardless if they can receive it well or not. That's and good. That's exactly what Jesus said. Right, right. No, that's good. That's good. Um, that's right. We don't discriminate based on necessarily the hardness of heart. Paul said he's the chief of sinners. That's a hard heart, right? Uh, and he knew it. Paul knew. Um, and um, uh, God even saved him by his grace, right? How much more can he save us, right? How much more can God truly bestow his grace on us? Go to, so be careful how you hear. Now, let's get into the explanation of the parable itself. Uh, We're going to start in verse 18, chapter 13. Turn there if you're not already there. And the verse says, hear then, verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Luke's parallel, the parallel in Luke says this, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So think of the word of the kingdom 
the word of the God, the, the word of the God, the word of God, those are the same thing. Think of the word of the kingdom, right? You, you, may, you may think, well, what is the word of the kingdom? Uh, and, and the parallel, it, it's just the word of God. The word of the kingdom is the word of the word of God, the word of the gospel. I'm going to get over that. I'm going to get over that. It's the word of the gospel. All those things are really synonymous in this context. Um, but he says, the seed is the word of God, and those beside the road, this is Luke's parallel, so I'm just giving you just the insight into that. The, the, he says, and those beside the road are those who have heard, the devil comes and takes away the word from his heart, so that he has this, that they may not believe and be saved. That's what he adds, that they may not believe and be saved. You don't have that in Matthews, but we have that in Luke. As another detail into the purposes of Satan when it comes to stealing the word from their heart. Um, now, this is the soil corresponds to the hard footpath, right? We laid the foundation of the agricultural, right? We surveyed that last week. This, is, this corresponds to that hard footpath. When the seed is sown, it does not penetrate. As quickly as it's tossed, it's trampled underfoot, it's snatched away by the devil, rendering the word of God ineffective to the transformation of that heart to the transformation of that soil. And so the word of God, you know this to be applicably true to you. The word of God will be effective when the heart is receptive. When the heart is receptive. You know that in your own life, that if you have hardness of heart, the word of God is it's not going to be as effective to you as when you come to it with a soft heart. When you come to it humbly, that is truly when you allow the word of God uh, to, to be effective, to, 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 truly, uh, uh, to truly to build you up, to conform you to the image of Christ. But if you're sitting under the ministry of the word with a hard heart, it's going to be like this. It's going to rest on top of your heart. It is not going to penetrate. It is not going to do the work that it is designed to do. How would you, how would you describe this kind of hearer? Dull? How else would you describe? Slow to hear? So slow to hear, slow to believe, right? In that sense? Mm. Mm -hmm. Stubborn? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's right. Yeah. No, that's right. I think all those are right. I think all those, you see a lot of those here. But I think there are some who are so hard that they resemble a path that has literally been stumped on. Literally, that's, that's what they're talking about, the footpath, the path that people would take to take shortcuts through fields, the path that the sower would take, the farmer would take to, uh, whenever he's sowing on his field, he would walk around his field or he would walk in between, uh, in, in between the, the, the land that he has prepared for sowing. And th- those, would be the, those would be like uh, 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 the little footpaths in the grass that have basically been hollowed out by him by sowing his seed. They basically define his field. It's so hard. Uh, and they, they resemble this. They're, they're, uh, they resemble this this kind of hearer. It's been packed tight by parades of people. It's as if years and years go by, the ground just gets tighter, tighter, harder, and harder. And there is no hope whatsoever for gospel penetration in this soil. Uh, that's Jesus's. Uh, interpretation the gospel makes his explanation the gospel makes no impact because it has no way in and it doesn't matter who's preaching it doesn't matter who's preaching the best sower to ever exist is the lord jesus himself he is first and foremost the sower of the seed and by extension uh, that applies to us as sowers and you see the reception that jesus had in his ministry People were turning away from him. Such a he had to look to his disciples and say, are you too going to turn away, right? Or stop following me even in John 6. And so uh, you could be a Christian for six years or 60 years. The end result for the soil of this seed is that it's going to be deflected uh, because of the hardness of heart, it's going to be free game for Satan to come with his workers and snatch it from the soil altogether. Uh, I believe that this this soil can be applied to the religious first and foremost, and then to the non-religious as well. Um, inside, 
Speaking about the religious, there are bystanders, quiet, disengaged people, indifferent to spiritual things. Ultimately, though they appear religious, they do not care about, uh, about taking what God has to say to heart. What God has to say to heart. By applying it to the religious, J.C. Ryle says this. This is a long quote. These are people who hear sermons but pay no attention to them. They go to a place of worship for form's sake and it's because it's fashionable or, 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 or to appear respectable before other people. But they take no interest whatsoever in the preaching. It seems to them a mere matter of words, names, and unintelligible talk. As they sit with the sound of it going on around them, they are taken up with thinking of other things. It does not matter at all whether it's law or gospel. It produces no more effect on them than water on a stone. And at the end, they go away knowing more. They go, they go away knowing no more than when they came in. And he says, there are myriads of people who claim to be Christians, but are in this state of soul. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to snatch away the good seed that is sown on the face of their hearts. Week after week, they live without faith, caring nothing about spiritual things. And in the end, Ryle concludes, they are lost forever in hell. They are lost forever in hell. And notice this in this parable. Wherever the word is being preached, Satan is nearby to thwart the advancement of the kingdom, uh, the word, and the ability for others to hear and understand. In order that they may not hear and be saved. That is what, that's what it says. That's what uh, Luke adds in his. In order that they may not believe and be saved. And it is fearful to think that some of you could be surrounded by the devil's workers who are actively engaged in stripping you of the word of God, even this moment, as the word of God is being preached to you, as we are teaching this parable, and because of your hardness of heart, the gospel is not going to penetrate. The word of God is not going to penetrate. And this could happen in this very body. If our hearts are hard, if we are not attentive, if, if we are just, like Brother said, apathetic, and, and we, are, we don't even care about what the preacher has to say. We don't really care what the Bible has to say. Tuning out when the, when the sermon is being preached, other things are in our minds. Be careful that your heart is not hard. That, 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 uh, that Satan is stealing every opportunity uh, for you to truly be saved and come to God for salvation. Any thoughts on that? Um, and to the natural man, to the natural man, all that God is is offensive. To the natural man, to the someone who's not a professing Christian, not religious, all that God is is offensive because it threatens, it threatens their enjoyment of sin. You talk about God's omnipotence, his power without end, his knowledge of their heart, Right? His all-seeing eye on everything that they do. Doesn't it spoil the enjoyment of sin? I've talked to so many people who say, man, I know so much about God that I can't even enjoy the world. And I don't even want to know anything else because it's going to spoil uh, the very things that I love to do. James Montgomery Boyce, it says, the opposition of the unregenerate heart to God's sovereignty is particularly evident in these kingdom parables. For a kingdom means rule, and rule is the same as sovereignty. And when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching God's right to rule over the hearts and minds of all people. Of all people. No one excepting. But as you see from the parable, only one out of the four soils embraces the gospel of the kingdom. Um, this second soil, go to verse 20. We see the second soil. This is the shallow soil, the rocky soil. It says in verse 20, The one on whom seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Isn't that interesting? Immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, and that's supplied. The original just says he has no root in himself. He has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary uh, whatever whatever does come up is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word immediately he falls away he departs 
The soil represents a shallow heart. The heart is mostly rock with a shallow layer of dirt on top. You remember in the survey we were talking about that even in these, these, these lands that are really these hills that some of the farmers would sow on underneath the soil, uh, almost immediately underneath the soil, maybe within anywhere from three inches to a foot, there was, they were going to hit rock at some points because of the rocky layers that were right underneath the soil. And so they only had a little bit of dirt to work with. But there's not, there's not enough. It's not deep. It doesn't allow for deep roots. It doesn't allow for deep penetration. And so when the seed is sown, it penetrated the soil only slightly. The depth of penetration was shallow. And therefore, the season of growth was only temporary. That is the only kind of uh, season or harvest that this, uh, that this soil affords. At the end of the day, after the joy rises up, after the Christian books are bought, and uh, after, there, uh, after there's all the church going, going on, the consequences of association with true Christianity and godliness causes that seed or that crop to wither to the ground and die. That is what you see here. Says, he, says, he says, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. That ground was not healthy ground. Right under the soil, it was very hard. It was very rocky. It looked promising, didn't it? It looked promising, but it didn't last. A good description of this person is the almost Christian. They are the almost Christian. The new emotions, the excitement, the feelings, they began to be snuffed out with, the, with fear and cowardice at the possibility of suffering for the sake of Christ of suffering for the sake of Christ. Have, have you ever met anyone like that? Right? You've probably seen that with many people. That they could be in our churches. And I think these are really speaking about, this is speaking about someone who is very close to true gospel ministry. They're, they're very close in the realm, association with those who are truly, uh, they're, on, they're, on, they're in Christ's army. They're in Christ's army. And they're going, out into the, they're going out into the world to war for the sake of the world. And they're coming alongside and they see what the cost is going to take. They see the cost it's going to take. And because of the word, afflictions come, persecution comes, and they cannot take it. Immediately falls away. What's that? False converts. False converts. Right. It won't work. It won't last. It will not. You come to Christ by God's power, you absolutely can do it. And so we see a lot of people exhausting a lot of energy to have all these external signs, all these external showings. Right. They grow tired of trying to look like something they're not. That's right. Doing it all by man's power. But when you're doing it by God's power, it's it's a, a switch that's internal. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That was actually a point that I was going to make is that the unregenerate will not last with the regenerate. They can't. They can't. Uh, Brother, you first. I'll come right back to you. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Is defective. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Sister, what are you going to say? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir. Uh, the King James says that at the end of twenty-one, it says, "By and by, he was offended." So, could it be possible that they might be offended at something that they find in the Word, if a Word is just mm-hmm. offensive over time? 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. Wow. No, perfect. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Years were off, not listening. Um, you know, I tried, but it was just too hard. It didn't work. It didn't work. But like our story. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Do you have an example with Paul's ministry with demons, actually? I was going to get to that. One letter he wrote to his brother, you know, helping out. Literally in uh, maybe the next letter, 2 Timothy uh, 14. Yeah. For demons, having loved this present world, have deserted me. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I'm afraid much of what we see in the in the modern evangelical church is made up of this soil. They don't want to suffer for Christ. They're not going to go out on the streets and streets and preach the gospel. Not that that's the only you know valid way of sharing the word, but but that's definitely it's getting into the world, rubbing shoulders with the people, and 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 trying to reason with them publicly. Um. But just be, just thinking of evangelism at all, it's evangelism, a, a desire. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That is not the burden that we see in our culture. It's not the burden of our culture. Even if you don't preach outside, it's not, it's not even the burden just in the workplace or the people around you. It's, it's very shallow. I want to be friends with you. I want to feed you. I want to go and build a well. But hardly, like, but, but, they, but they know, it's like, uh, but, if I, but if I preach the gospel, people aren't going to like that. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really, I believe, what makes up much of the modern evangelical church. I say that just broadly, is this soil. It's a fear, a cowardice to be persecuted. And so they're not going to, uh, they're not going to tread that ground. They're not going to tread that ground. And I think it's because of bad doctrine that people are persuaded to enter that version of Christianity because what Jesus will make your life better uh, because they, because they just don't want to go to hell. They're scared of hell. Um, They prayed to accept Jesus, but ultimately they were not changed and they were not accepted by Jesus. That's my testimony. I prayed to accept Jesus multiple times, but Jesus did not accept me uh, until I called out him in faith genuinely. Um, But this faith here is temporary. It's not saving it's not saving faith that we see here. Uh, they are completely deceived, thoroughly deceived. And people are in it for the excitement. They're in it for the glitter. Uh, they're, they're in it for the sparkle of it all. I, I think most of what falls under the name Christianity, they like smooth religion. They like smooth words, smooth pastors, uh, but not real religion, honest truth, and godly shepherds. The profession of Christianity is everywhere. It really is. But where is the possession of Christianity, right? The name of Christ is being proclaimed. It's being professed. But where is the nature of Christ? Where is the nature of Christ here, right? Christ must be formed in you. Christ must be formed in you. It must be, the believer must be able to see himself in the reflection of Galatians 2.20. What does it say? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. That's the glory of New Testament Christianity. Now, not only the believer in Jesus, but Jesus in the believer. Jesus in the believer. And notice this, it says this. Notice it says, this is how it says that they have no root in themselves. They have no root in themselves or no firm root in themselves. What root, where, where does that root, come, that root come from? 
comes from the gospel. We're talking about the seed of the gospel once it is planted going down. It says they have no root in themselves. In their heart, there's no root there. And so it is the hearer's responsibility to take the seed of the word of God and make sure that word is deeply rooted in their heart. Make sure that the seed is deeply rooted in your heart. If you are not rooted down in Christ, you'll be driven away from Christ uh, with, by the trials, the afflictions, tribulations, persecutions. And a seed which virtually has no root will not outlast the circumstances of a sinful climate. You can if you're in Christ. You can. You will endure into the end. And those who endure to the end will be saved. There's a promise of endurance that is given to the last seed, the last soil. But those whose nature is, is uh, there's, there's, there are those who are not saved. Their nature is in conflict with the trials, with the tribulations that is expected of Christians to go through. Do you see that? Just as quickly as they are in, they're out. They will not last among the regenerate. The life of love the life of self-sacrifice for Jesus is contrary to their nature. It's contrary to their desires. What is the state of your heart when persecutions and afflictions arise because of the way you live? Right? Do you tend to shy away from living boldly for Jesus Christ because you fear the consequences of the world? Right? And thus, in this, we must truly take heed to ourselves. We must take heed to ourselves, lest for the love of our own lives, we abandon the offense of the cross and the radical cost of following Jesus. The radical cost of following Jesus. Which is what happens to this. He abandons the cost, the offense of the cross. He departs from it. Any questions? Thoughts? And cast into the fire. The third soil, we are running out of time quickly. The third soil, read with me, verse 22. This is the, the weed-infested soil, the thorn-infested soil. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And he hears the word. All these hear the word. And, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The third soil, the weed and festal soil, as the last soil was shallow, this soil is presumably deeper. The issue lies with the competing seed that steals not only the moisture and the nutrients below the soil, but also the sunlight from above. We went through that and we saw how, how it is that other plants can choke out other plants, right? Uh, we went through that last week. Um, and it reflects the heart that has been strangled and suffocated by the things of this world, the word of this world. It's interesting that there are two seeds that have been sown here. One's a weed-infested seed, and one is the, the seed that is the word of God. And I'm not, I don't want to look too much into that, but one seed is representative of the word of, word of God. And then there's the things of this world coming in through the other seed, which we could just might, we could call the word of the world. The word of the world and the word of God. And the word of the world is making an inway into the soil where God has planted his word, where, where we have sown the word of God into that heart. And there's competition, you see. There's competition. Two competing worldviews. Two competing, competing desires for the affections of this heart. For dominance in this soil. Uh, ultimately, the love of this world chokes out the love of the word. It chokes it out, the love of the world. That's, that's exactly right. You cannot have, you cannot serve, you cannot love two masters. Um, however, it's not as if they haven't heard the word. That's what we're just going to. Outwardly, I believe these people can tell you all about saving faith, the doctrine of justification, the nature of progressive sanctification. They can probably tell you something about Romans 9. They can probably exegete the ninth chapter of Romans. They probably can. They've heard the word. There's soil. It's the, the, the seed is there. It's been planted. It's been, it's been growing. It's, it's, it has impacted them in some way. But inwardly, there are way too many things going on in this heart. 
way too many things going on that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. They have nothing to do with following Christ. They are distracted by other things, the worry of the world. What would you, how would you define the worry of the world? What would you say would fall under that category? Mm-hmm. One aspect, financial side, the money side. Okay, so bad doctrine, right? Worldly doctrine. Constant compromise. Absolutely. Very true, very true. So bad doctrine, we said money. Um, I would say your job can even be a worry of the world. Finances can be a worry. Jesus said the Gentiles worry about those things. Uh, right? How you, how, uh, how, how you, how, how to provide for themselves. They are obsessed. They are taken up with those things, but not you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? That's the, the kingdom mindset is not to be obsessed or, or, or to be gripped by the worry of the world. The worry of the world. Um, you could say you're traveling, hobbies, entertainment, those things which you could be so easily caught up into. The heart is torn because there's a superficial desire to follow Jesus and a genuine desire to fall headlong into the world. Jesus keeps them from doing that, right? The gospel keeps them from doing that in some sense, right? As they live a religious life, as they kind of, they're in the church, they're out of the church, they're, they're struggling in some sense with their desires. They have so many things competing for their heart. Um, they let the lust of their flesh linger for too long, right? Don't let the lust of your flesh linger. Kill it. Kill it. Do not leave the door of the world open for your heart. Do not leave that door open for your affections. These are the rich young rulers who want to ensure a spot in the kingdom and do whatever it takes to make it look like all is well, but in the end, they will not comply, will not conform to the commandment to sell all possessions and give them to the poor. These are those who put their hand to the plow of the kingdom, but look back at the world with a divided heart. Right? These are those who put, uh, these are those, these are the Demises spoken of by Paul, who having loved this present world has deserted me. Right? And in the end, these are the thorn infested hearts of Esau and Judas who trade the temporal for the eternal and forfeit their souls. And forfeit their souls. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Keeping something back from themselves, right? And lying about it. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And the, the last seed, the last seed understanding is very helpful. It's very helpful to understand it. Where are we at? Two eighteen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to skip some things to go into that last soil here. But where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Where is it? Um. You know, we, we live in a very wealthy culture. You are not poor if you live here. I don't care what you tell me. You're not poor. Well, if you, only, if you have a couple of things, you're, you have more money than the majority of the world. And if you have a house, you have food, you, you, you're not starving, you're rich. You have a lot of possessions. Just go to Cuba. Just go to some of these other places where uh, they do not have the same, uh, the same kind of privileges and uh, uh, the same kind of uh, lifestyles that we have. So watch your heart, right? Watch your heart with all diligence, as the proverb says. Um, and we must not think that because we're Christians, this can't happen to us. We must not be prideful. We must be watchful. We must be watchful. Um, because I know that, that, that even as hard as we work, I know we have brothers here, they work so hard. You're in the process of acquiring money, of acquiring wealth. You may not think that could happen to you, but being wealthy, getting rich, Right, as the Lord even blesses you, that can really puff you up. Uh, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. So it, that might be something that could be building and building and building in you over time. You may, you, may, you may not be able to see it. 
But watch yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure your hands are always open. And examine whether or not there are circumstances where you would close your, your, your hands around your money. Whatever circumstance that might be, I don't know. But see, why is your hard heart to giving? Why are your hands closed? Why, you know what I'm saying? Examine your heart. Let's go to the last soil here. We only have a, maybe about five minutes or so. The fourth soil, this is the God-blessed, fruit-bearing soil. Verse 23, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. This is good news. He understands it. This is the first one who understands it. And indeed, who indeed, it says, bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Luke's parallel adds something else to the nature of this. He's not so black and white. He gives color to the understanding of the parable. And the seed, he says this, Luke 8, Luke 8, 15, and the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. And hold it fast. Isn't that incredible? That's kind of what you're talking about. And hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And bear fruit with perseverance. The entire parable has been leading up to this soil. It is the soil that bears fruit and yields a crop and corresponds to a receptive heart that has been prepared by God. This is where the favor and blessing of God resides. Let me ask you quickly, what is the evidence that the word of God has truly been embraced? Give me evidence of that. There's fruit. What else would you say? Accurately handling. So understanding the word of God, right? having a spiritual nature in order to appraise the word of God. Your, your worldview is, is a major shift, right? Isn't, isn't it? There's continuation in the word. You abide in Christ. You abide in his word. Uh, Jesus said, even in John 8, those who abide in my word are truly my disciples who abide in my word. They bear fruit. You'll notice that the word they bear fruit in this verse is in the present tense. It's not that they bore fruit, they bear fruit. You see? It's not that they bore fruit, they bear fruit. As even as John the Baptist says here, he says, and he says, he says they, they bear fruit in keeping with their what? Repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. So there is, uh, there is uh, an ongoing life of bearing fruit in keeping with uh, this repentance. This original commitment to the Lord Jesus is continual throughout your life. There is no shifting in that. You are committed to the Lord Jesus and you're bearing fruit according to your profession, according to uh, the faith that you truly possess. If one has savingly embraced and received the word, they will bring forth the fruit of a changed life. They will bring forth the fruit of a changed life. Go to, go to Psalm 92 for me. I'm almost done, Pastor. Psalm 92, verses, starting in verse 12. It says this, The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. By the way, uh, this is the, this, the, you can see, you can read about the fertile, the, the fertile soil in Psalm 1. He talks about uh, those who've been planted, right? How strong they are, uh, the, the very state of how they bear fruit from season to season. Uh, but here is something very similar. Psalm 92, verse 12, it says, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God, and they will still yield fruit in an old age. Isn't that incredible? They will still yield fruit in an old age. They will bring forth fruit continually. They are the ones who profit eternally. Eternally. It is the fourth seed that receives the benefit of the preaching of the gospel and is saved. Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by, your, by their fruits. And just uh, maybe a, a last point. You know, in Luke's gospel, it says that those are the ones who have heard with an honest and a good heart. What is the, what's the issue with that in some sense when we're talking about sinners? The heart is not really good and honest, is it? It's not. It's wicked, isn't it? Isn't it deceitful? 
And I would say we can have a good and honest heart only because Christ had a good and honest heart in his ministry to his father. It's because he procured that blessing through, through, the, through the fruit of his own life. We can have a good and honest heart. It's because of his sinless person, his perfect righteousness, uh, and his substitutionary atonement that sinful people can be lovingly embraced, accounted as righteous, and made pure in heart. The pure in heart, they will see God is what we see. And so uh, we have that you cannot be saved those are the three seeds. They cannot do anything to change the hardness of their heart. You know that? What can you do? You can't do anything to change the nature of your heart, right? God must till the soil. God must till the soil. If, you're, if your heart is hard, God must come with a plowshare and break up the fallow ground. That's how it happens. That's how someone is going to be saved on these other grounds is that the master tiller of the harvest, he must come and he promises that there will be a harvest. He says the harvest is what? It's plentiful, but what's the issue? But the laborers are few. The laborers are few. We have a promise that God is going to save and we must bring the word of God to the field. What is the central message of the parable? It's that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come and it will be accepted by some, and it will be rejected by others. It will be rejected by others. Uh, and so in one sense, the word of the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that works slowly, that has just been sown into a field. Um, and look at this. I mean, on, on the footpath, the rocky ground, the weed-infested ground, the word of the kingdom, it doesn't find foothold for advancement, right? Look at the effects of the fall in the sin of man. He used to be, he was his man, he had a soft heart, he listened to God, man was made upright, right, in relationship, he was good, right, he was neutrally good in some sense, right, but look at how God compare, in comparison, look at the nature of hearts now, they're like rocky ground, rocky ground, they're like, uh, they're like, they're like ground that's been trampled on, stomped on by, by, by parades of people, and they're like ground that's just infested with thorny weeds, and it is only the good seed, the seed or the good soil, the soil that God comes, the Father himself. It really is a triune work that breaks up the fallow ground of the hard heart where the seed is sown and God sovereignly by his grace brings it to bear fruit. Brings it to bear fruit. And that's, what, that's the promise of the new covenant that God will change your heart and make you bear fruit. Walk according to his ordinances. Which soil are you? Which soil are you? Uh, Let's go to worship.